You're listening to Green Biz Radio, the voice of GreenBiz.com, bringing you news and analysis on business, the environment, and the bottom line. In November 2007, Territories Environmental Marketing unveiled a list of six sins of greenwashing, laying out the most common mistakes that companies make in promoting their green products and initiatives. Among the sins, the sin of vagueness, the sin of fibbing, and the sin of lesser of two evils. Territories is updating their list of sins this week and have included a seventh sin of greenwashing. To follow up on a similar interview he conducted in 2007, GreenBiz.com executive editor Joel McCower spoke with Scott Case, the vice president of TerraChoice, to talk about lies, damn lies, and greenwashing. Scott, it's been about a year and a half since the original Six Sins of Greenwashing report. What have you seen in the green marketplace since that first report? Well, TerraChoice actually just completed a second study, uh, and what we did is we actually reviewed almost 4,000 products uh, across the U.S., Canada, the United Kingdom, and Australia. And what we found is that uh, greenwashing is just as prevalent as it's always been. Uh, we found that uh, more than 98% of products out there making some sort of environmental claim were committing at least one of the sins of greenwashing. Uh, the other big finding from our study this year uh, was what we're now calling the seventh sin, which is the sin of worshiping, worshiping false labels because we found an awful number, a large number of products, in fact, almost 25% of the study, making uh, what appeared to be some sort of certification mark on products when there isn't actually any substance behind the mark on the product. Good. Well, let's be, before we get to the seventh sin, let me ask you just a big picture question here. I'm wondering if the bar you're setting is too high. If only 25 of 2,219 products in the North America study passed. Is this, are, you, are you really grading fairly? Well, I think that's an excellent question and one that we really spent a lot of time talking about before launching the, the new study. Um, and I think our bar is relatively simple. All we're asking is that manufacturers back up their claims, that they actually provide some sort of proof that their environmental claims are accurate, um, and that they can be verified, and that they're not uh, intentionally misleading consumers. But isn't, isn't one of the problems that a lot of the things that companies are doing aren't really claim-worthy? In other words, uh, you know, so many of the improvements, substantial, significant improvements that companies are making in their operations uh, and in their processes and the product design and the manufacturing and their sourcing um, first of all, they're kind of hard stories to tell because they're essentially about doing less bad. But equally important is that a lot of the benefits of those initiatives aren't something, aren't things that show up in the products. So, in, in that sense, isn't there a lot more that companies are doing that that uh, aren't showing up in these claims, and therefore being a little bit too hard on them? Uh, and, and giving, and, and therefore creating, or I guess exacerbating the existing skepticism that consumers already have about companies who are claiming to be greener. Well, there's there's a couple of things going on. I, I think one, um, con- uh, manufacturers are doing a lot of great things. They are making significant advances. The challenge seems to be that their rhetoric is outpacing the actual improvements that they're making. So we found all of these products 
many of them make wonderfully specific, legitimate environmental claims, and they would be perfect, except they want to take one more step and make an outrageous claim. And that's why the percentage of products that end up listed as, as you know, on the sinners list is so high. It's because the, man, the marketers don't seem to know when to stop. Can you give me an example of that? Oh, well, sure. An example. A product will make a claim that it contains 30% post-consumer recycled content. That's a good claim. Simple claim. Sounds straightforward to me. But then what they'll do is add on top of that that this is the greenest product ever made that it's a wonderful green product because of that. But that's not a, a claim so much. It's, just, it's, it's the hyperbole that comes with any kind of marketing. Well, I think, though, the challenge is that in this particular sector, we've got to be particularly precise with our language because what we're talking about are things that consumers can't see. When a manufacturer claims, for example, that their product is energy efficient or that it meets the Energy Star standard, that's not something I as an average consumer can test. When I'm walking the store from my refrigerator aisle, I don't have some sort of magic device to know if it's really energy efficient or not. So it seems appropriate that a manufacturer should be willing to provide proof and to make that proof widely available for me and other consumers. Well, I, I don't think that's all that different from traditional marketing, that you know something gives you a better night's sleep, which is certainly a hard metric uh, to prove, or that you know that something will make you feel better. I mean, isn't a lot of this just plain old marketing, and it, it's less sinister than it may be just sort of, maybe I don't know, maybe sloppy, but it's certainly not an underhanded move on the part of companies. Well, I think it's definitely sloppy, um, but I think the big difference is that with many other exaggerated claims, I as a consumer know when it's true or false, eventually. So the car, might, the car manufacturer might tell me that I'm going to feel sexier driving this sports car. Now, I might be willing to believe that for a couple of hundred miles, and eventually I'm going to realize I'm no sexier than I was before. But when someone tells me, for example, this refrigerator is energy efficient and it's using less energy and it's creating less global warming pollution because I've bought it, that's not something I'm ever going to know whether it's true or not. And as a result, we should keep the bar very, very high to make sure that we're holding manufacturers accountable. So one of the things that your company, TerraChoice, does is administer the eco-logo um, it's a it's a green claim. It's a, a certification seal for products, um, and there's about three thousand products out there. Did those also pass, uh, or I guess flunk, this, the six sins tests by such a high rate? Well, and that's actually the scary thing. We actually did have some eco logo certified products that did fail, and we've actually worked with clients on this issue. Um, and what's happened is clients have said. Look, if I stick with just what we can legitimately say, I'm losing market share because everyone else is lying. So even the legitimate players feel this pressure to exaggerate their environmental claims because everybody else is. And, and as a green consumer, someone who's been passionate about this for almost as long as you, it frustrates me to know that people are intentionally misleading just because everyone else is doing it. So if we can actually hold people accountable, the truly green products can rise to the top and succeed in the market. 
See, I think there's an opposite effect going on. Actually, something that Bob Langard, uh, Langard at McDonald's calls the uh, calls green muting, and and he says that, and I say agree with this that that a lot of the improvements that that companies are making are things that um, aren't relevant to the reason. People, that people buy the product, that, that if you manufacture an, an aluminum can with a third less aluminum, when you consider the environmental impacts of bauxite mining to make aluminum, or certainly the energy and carbon intensity of manufacturing aluminum, that's a big deal, but it's not w- the reason why people buy your beer. So in, in some ways, it's the opposite of your sin of irrelevance, which is about making claims that are truthful but unimportant. There, there are many, many claims companies could make that, that, that are really unimportant, um, but or they really are truthful, but but they, and, and far more significant. But again, unimportant to to the reason the consumer would buy something. Well, I think I think that's a, a very true statement. However, manufacturers can tell those kinds of stories on websites, and they do. They can tell those kinds of stories in press releases, and they do. If it's not supposed to be consumer facing, don't put it on the on the package. Um, the challenge is when folks are actually um, trying to put all sorts of information on a package that just doesn't belong there. You said uh, there's a seventh sin this year, the worshipping false labels. Um, and that, I think, has to do with the fact that some companies have sort of created their own labels that aren't uh, third-party, independent, uh, consensus-built the way that, say, Green Seal or EcoLogo or a number of other so-called type 1 uh, eco-labels are. Um, I'm wondering if, if some companies have done that because they've been frustrated with their inability to, to you know, to the shortcomings of some of those labels. And, and I'm thinking of S.C. Johnson, for example, which is using a green list logo for what I think is everyone recognizes is a is a bona fide uh, program to reduce toxics in their products, and, and, and they've created that label for themselves. Is that a sin? Well, I, I think that that's the issue. So there's there's a couple of things. Um, there are a variety of different types of environmental labels that are truly legitimate. We did not include just type one, such as Eco Logo or Green Seal, in our list of legitimate labels. That the litmus test for whether a label was legitimate or not was quite simple. Can a consumer find out exactly what that label means? And so when you take something like what F.C. Johnson is doing with their green list, it's a wonderful program, but it was designed for the internal engineers to use when building products. It was not originally designed to be a consumer-facing strategy. And so when consumers ask the simple question, what does this label on my product mean? What ingredients are prohibited? What ingredients are not in it that used to be? The label doesn't provide any of those kinds of things. So the Green List program is wonderfully important. They've won all sorts of awards, um, and it's definitely helped them improve their products. But it's not done anything to kind of explain to consumers what that label actually means. So that's one example, but there were lots of others. We found toy manufacturers that are putting, you know, a green leaf on a product or something, and we'll call the manufacturers, we'll visit their websites, and we'll say, well, what does this green leaf mean? And we've actually had people say, well, um, it just means, well, we thought, you know, because it's made of wood, that it must be a greener product, so we put that on there. That's not helping consumers make truly green decisions. 
What do you think of the uh, entry of some um, significant institutions that are now getting into either eco-labeling or verification? I'm thinking here of Good Housekeeping Institute and Underwriters Laboratory, both of which are launching some kind of, of green labeling or certification or verification process. Is that going to help? I think, that, well, it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I see two um, big, huge issues out there. Um, the one issue is what's known as label proliferation. These green spots are popping up all over the place. And so consumers have to figure out, well, which labels are legitimate and which ones are just fake. Um, we started trying to make a little wallet card that would just identify all of the legitimate environmental labels, you know, what the labels mean. And it grew difficult. We couldn't fit it in a wallet. So we made a purse-sized one just trying to list all the 300 or more labels and explain what they mean. Um, so label proliferation makes it incredibly difficult for consumers. They have to know, well, this label is for these kinds of products, this label is for those kinds of products. I would love to see a universal mark, one brand that lots of different standard setters and certifiers could use, one mark to make it easy for consumers. The second issue on top of label proliferation is what I'm kind of referring to as the orphan products problem. Um, there are an awful lot of products for which there aren't any standards, for which there aren't any environmental certification programs. So on one hand, we have label proliferation, where you have five, six different labels certifying cleaning chemicals. And on the other hand, you have a whole sort of orphan products for which no one's developed standards. Like what? Um, well, look at things like toys. Um, at this point, there actually aren't any good environmental standards out there to help me protect my six-year-old and my four-year-old. How am I supposed to know what's in these toys, what's in those baby dolls um, that my kids are using, what's in the kids' makeup that these two little girls are using? So who's going to create those standards? Well, I think what we need is to... Um, get rid of this label proliferation challenge. We've actually had clients come to us and say they're interested in developing standards. They're interested in developing something to kind of, you know, make sure people know this is a green widget. But they're afraid to do it because in a world with more than 300 labels and new ones popping up every week, they're not convinced that the mark will ever mean anything. And so that becomes a really big challenge. Um, luckily, we've got people like Senator Feinstein that are actually beginning to look into this issue and trying to decide whether federal legislation might be a path forward. So you think we can, we can regulate our way to uh, eco-label truthfulness? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I think you know, there are three kind of pathways. Um, federal legislation uh, might just force some truth into the matter. Um, it's also possible that the large retailers could really crack down and say, you know, we are upset by these misleading claims, and we're going to kind of force some accountability into the system. Another option would be if the legitimate environmental labels, you know, EcoLogo, Green Seal, and others, actually banded together and created a system uh, to kind of make it easier for consumers. It seems like they, that last uh, item has been tried before, at least that you all have talked and about doing things together, and, and that never went anywhere. Well, I think it's a big challenge, um, but a lot of the early discussions were more than 10 years ago, back when consumers really weren't paying much attention, and back when there were only 20 or 30 labels. Now that we're living in a world with more than 300, I think the, uh, the severity of the problem is, is much better known. This all feels 
pretty discouraging, frankly, uh, for anybody who's trying to make a difference. And with the growing number of companies that are making significant changes to their operations and their in their strategies in some cases embracing uh, environmental improvements uh, sometimes dramatically others uh, incrementally it seems like this is a this is a hard slog to get any kind of recognition in the marketplace at least from consumers is this uh, are you hopeful or is this you continue to be discouraged by all this um, I'll tell you the results of the uh, seven sins of greenwashing study are um, are disappointing um, but what we have found with this seventh sin, the, the worshiping of false labels, we've begun to realize how big of a problem it is. Uh, there's a lawyer in Florida, for example. Send him a check for 250 bucks, he'll send you a certification, a green diploma, if you will. There are people that actually advertise in trade publications that they will certify your products. There's no testing required, no standard required, no on-site visit. Just send us a check. It's no wonder consumers are confused. It's no wonder they turn around and see greenwashing everywhere. It's because there's enough completely false, illegitimate claims out there that the truly innovative companies, the ones with truly green products, are getting lost in the green fog. I didn't hear a lot of optimism in that answer. Well, here's where the optimism comes in. Um, I think if enough people actually pay attention to the sins of greenwashing, and actually arm themselves with some of the materials that are on sinsofgreenwashing.org, that they will actually begin asking better questions, making better demands of the manufacturers and of the retailers that are supplying the products. And I actually do believe in the power of the free market. I actually do believe that eventually truth will prevail. But in order for truth to prevail, the consumers have to be educated. And right now what's happening is we've got a large number of manufacturers that are taking advantage of the fact that consumers haven't educated themselves. And so I think what we're going to see is that as more consumers are educated, the truly green products will float to the top. There's a lot of work to do, but uh, this is a good start. Thanks so much for talking, Scott. Thanks, Joel. You've been listening to Green Biz Radio. For the latest daily news on business, the environment, and the bottom line, and to sign up for our free newsletters, visit greenbiz.com.